During the dawning of the fifth sun, Quetzalcoatl, also known as the Feathered Serpent, along with his dog-faced twin brother, Xolotl, embarked on a journey to collect the bones of humans that had lived in previous eras. Xolotl led the way down to Miklan, the land of the dead. Down, down, down the pair went, eventually passing through the nine layers that made up the realm of death. Xolotl knew the way, for he would lead the sun down every night to Miklan to die. When they made it to the palace of the Lord of Death, he was already waiting for them. Miklan Tekutli looked at the pair and asked them what they were doing there. Quetzalcoatl explained that they were there simply to borrow the bones of the humans. But due to their mortality, the humans would always die and would always return to the land of the dead. Miklan Tekutli agreed but only if the twins could play his conch shell trumpet and circle his kingdom four times in his honor. When Shalotl was handed the conch shell, he looked at it and he knew they were being tricked. This conch shell had no holes. So Quetzalcoatl ordered worms and other insects to chew holes into the conch shell. This worked and a trumpet-like sound rang throughout the realm of death. Eventually, after some harrowing setbacks, Xolotl and Quetzalcoatl were able to bring the bones back to the other gods. The bones were then ground up into a fine powder, and with the blood from Xolotl's penis, humans were brought back to life to roam the earth under the dawn of the fifth sun. This is Monstras. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Monstras. My name is Brenda Salguero. Like, do you plan these? Do you sit there in your closet going, this is the way I'm going to introduce myself this time? Don't call me out. Don't call me out on how much time I spend trying to come up with these stupid introductions for myself. <laughs> but then I feel bad because what am I going to say? I am Orquidia Morales. Right. You could do like a Batman thing. I am Morales. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because, I mean, you are in the dark. Like, if anyone, anyways, anyone who's, obviously no one listening to this podcast can see Orquidia, but right now I am staring at literally the reflection in your glasses and maybe a little bit of your forehead. And that's all I can see. You know, those are my better quality, so <laughs> you're good. They're your better features. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to see more than that. It's, it's, it leaves everything else to the imagination. Oh, no, that's great. I mean, that's what Batman does, right? Yeah, that's true. So I'm excited to talk about the thing that we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> so in today's okay. episode, we're going to be talking about dogs. I feel like I should say that happier. Yay, Yay dogs. Dogs. <laughs> My voice I was actually going to add happy. a bark. <laughs> bark? I was, 
Yeah, I was actually going to add a bark there because I was like, well, let me let me just make it joyous. Woof, woof, you know? Oh, that's a good bark. Thank you. Yeah. I enjoy my bark. Yeah. And this is definitely like, I'm more of a cat person. I love cats. But I'm, I was excited to see what you had in mind because you were, you were the one that suggested dogs. And I was like, I have no idea what that means, but sure, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it has actually been fun. Yes. And I love, I love dogs. I'm super excited about this episode because I really, really love dogs. Dogs are my jam. I want to die in a pile of dogs someday. <laughs> like that's really, truly my dream is to run in a field full of dogs. And I grew up with dogs. I grew up with three dogs. I had a, a very nice dog. Her name was Princess. She passed away a couple of years ago. She was 16. She lived to 16. She was the smartest and sweetest and best dog ever in the Aww. world. I don't care. I, I know everyone says their dog is the best, but mine was. Uh, <laughs> Little princess. She was fantastic. Yeah. She was fantastic. I loved her. So I'll, I partially dedicate this episode to my, my sweet little dog, Princess, who passed. May she but rest I was in just peace really in doggy heaven. Yes, in doggy heaven, where someday I wish I will <laughs> follow her too. So one of the reasons why I wanted to actually do this episode is because not only do I love dogs, but I was curious about the history of dogs and their role in Mesoamerican culture or pre-Columbian culture. So I actually went and got this great book by Marion Schwartz called the, the History of Dogs in the Early Americas. And that's where I'm pulling a lot of this information from. So basically, we broke it up into a couple different sections. So I'll be doing a lot of the history portion, and Orchidia will be doing more of the mythology portion. Correct? Yes. Wait, Excellent. what? Excellent. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Orchidia, we talked about this oh my before God. the episode started? <laughs> so... Anyways, I can talk about dogs all day, but let's get started and dive into a little bit about this history. The history, like I mentioned, comes from this book called by Marion Schwartz called The History of Dogs in the Early Americas. And it's one hell of a book. It's a pretty big book. And I didn't read the whole thing, like cover to cover, but I read a good chunk of it. And so a lot of the information I got comes from that book, but it's more of a shortened version. <laughs> if you want to know more, I highly recommend purchasing this book. It's super, it's not even that expensive. And it was such a joy to read. So one of the things that I found out that I loved was, did you know, Orchidia, that the- <laughs> I did not know. I can dogs, tell you already. <laughs> that dogs are the first animals to start living with humans. I did not know that. Yeah. And on top of that, they're the only animal that has been found within all human societies. So everyone like, has dogs. Yes, everyone has dogs in some sort of capacity. Dogs are an incredible and an incredibly diverse and also adaptable animal. Especially they're super adaptable especially considering that they befriended the world's number one predator, us humans, right? <laughs> so they're way smarter <laughs> than they look. <laughs> yes, they're very 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 smart. And dogs actually followed humans over 10,000 years ago. Uh, crossing the Bering Strait together into a new and strange land. So they walked in, obviously not hand in hand, but they walked in hand and paw. <laughs> paw. <laughs> <laughs> they frolicked across the Bering Strait. Oh, I could. Oh, so cute. So, in fact, one of the things that I found out is that the dog that is said to be to have been the closest ancestor to the dog who originally traveled with humans with our ancestors across the Bering Strait is this dog called the Carolina dog. 
What does that look like? It's a dingo-like dog, very similar to the dogs in Australia also, because they also kind of originated from that, from that lineage. So it's super fascinating, like the DNA and the history of dogs and where they came from. But when they got here, dogs obviously changed. So, so what views did indigenous people have about their dogs? The views Native Americans had about their dogs were as various as the cultures that flourished in the Americas. Overall, people understood that dogs resided somewhere in between the wild and the untamed wilderness and the domestic. So they knew that dogs had a close kinship with wolves, foxes, and coyotes. So they weren't like humans in the past, which, you know, we weren't dumb. We ain't stupid. We know. Okay. <laughs> they have sharp teeth that, that they might be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And they might be related. You know, these four-legged animals with fur might be related to mm. one another. So the indigenous people, you know, dogs were viewed by them as valuable companions, hunters, and guards. Yet at the same time, they were associated with promiscuity and filth. Some cultures Why? considered... Yeah. So some cultures considered dog eating, uh, eating dogs taboo, while other cultures, it was just a part of their diet. So it just really varied across all of the Americas. Dogs were an integral part of human societies in all of the Americas as well. So each culture used dogs in a variety of ways, like I mentioned before. Some were definitely for hunting, some used them for herding, others used them for companionship, ceremonies, and of course eating. Some groups did all of the above. I think one of those groups is definitely the Aztecs. The Aztecs were like, we'll use this dog for everything. <laughs> I wonder what they taste like. Is that a bad I question? I know. I mean, we'll get into it. Um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always kind of like in the same vein as what what do humans taste like, you know? Like I've tasted myself because, you know, you, you can eat the little parts of like the, you know, in your nails where you have the little thing. You can chew on the little like. Like the cuticles? Yeah, like the cuticle. Like sometimes, sometimes I'll just chew on that, you know. <laughs> I've never thought about that as eating myself, though. Like, I've never cannibalism? Thought yeah. Yeah, do it. No, but I've never like I've I've been in my cuticles before, but I've never been like the, I'm self-cannibalizing. <laughs> I mean, technically it is, right? If you eat any part of your body like a little skin here, sometimes I pick at it and then I just eat it. It's like it's it's what if you fry it? Will it taste differently? Probably not. Anyway, my question was about how <laughs> dogs taste. This is <laughs> And I felt like that was dark enough. You took us down a really dark path. I had, I just spent a lot of the weekend, I spent it in a Victorian mansion with a bunch of friends. Not a lot, obviously. It wasn't like a huge party or anything, but it was with my pod. I call it my pod because they're the only people I see during the quarantine and they're, and I'm the only person they see during the quarantine. So we just see each other. Mm. And I was hanging out with them. And sure enough, they were like, yeah, so uh, what's it like to like eat people? Like it just became, <laughs> we just, I just bring up can cannibalism too much with people. And then I told them the story about like all these different creepy stories about caves and people going into caves and getting stuck in caves, dying in caves. Oh my God. Fascinating. I'm not even Honestly, yeah, it's no, like, I, I can't don't know tell. What to say. I can't tell because you literally you look like a disembodied head in the dark. Like it's really great. I love it. That's because I've eaten the rest of my body to survive in this closet. <laughs> it's been a long ten minutes in here. <laughs> 
So I'm so glad you're recording in your closet. Honestly, <laughs> this is great. This is great material for me, visual material. So let's get into dogs with jobs, as, this, as, as I called this section. So what kind of jobs did dogs have in Mesoamerica? So obviously they had all types of jobs. Early dogs actually in North America even helped take down mammoths. So there's evidence that they took down mammoths with humans. It's so cool. Imagine, like, so cool. That's so brave, too. Yeah, dogs are awesome. I mean, it's just one of the many reasons dogs are amazing. So <laughs> this episode is just me being amazed by dogs, okay? <laughs> so the Mocha people of coastal Peru and the Maya would actually use dogs to drive deer into nets. So they would herd these deer in, right into nets to kill them, obviously eat them. Dogs were also an important part of hunting and thus were incorporated into hunting rituals. So in South America, for example, and this made me laugh a little bit, but also made me sad. <laughs> the Achuar people actually gave dogs hallucinogens to aid them in their hunt. Okay, so I know it sounds really cruel, but what I also found out is that they greatly valued their dogs, giving them proper names and even nursing them if they got sick. And in this particular culture, the dogs were actually owned and trained exclusively by women. Nice. And this was, yeah, and this was actually something that I found out was not uncommon. A lot, a lot of cultures in the Americas uh, used women or had women train the dogs and stuff. And so women really played a huge role in that. So for thousands of years in the Andes, people actually used these, this long, hairy, shaggy dog called sunka for herding alpaca and llamas which is cool i Some wish i cultures, could see like a picture of that like that just sounds so cute it's so cute and usually the herders were children oh so the even better <laughs> right and so it was like kids and their dog and they would go out and help with the alpacas and the llamas and the and the herding and stuff it, it's adorable and i think that dog might have been a barkless dog i have to I can't quite recall, but I know they were like very defensive. They would defend the herd, you know, very well. So as most herding dogs. So some cultures even use their dog's uh, hair for weaving, which makes sense, right? Yeah. It's easily accessible. So the Zuni and the Chono of southern Chile used dog hair to make colored wigs and actually wove it into cloth. That sounds so cool. And I would have never thought of that. Like I know some people use uh, cat hair for felting and stuff like that. Um, but I've just never thought of dog hair for that purpose. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. And again, you know, they had these shaggy dogs uh, in the in that southern region. And so it makes sense that you would take the, that fur and make it into something useful, including cool-ass wigs. I can only <laughs> imagine. Can you imagine a drag queen <laughs> wearing a dog hair, dog hair wig? I would love to see that. <laughs> it's like, girl, that wig is fierce and it's she's like poodle. it was my poodle <laughs> <laughs> oh my god amazing so dogs also existed in the amazon but mostly they stuck to the um they mostly stuck to the outer regions and not the interior it wasn't until the spanish arrived they were the ones who brought more dogs into the amazon basin but prior to that they stuck to the uh outer regions which makes sense right because the inner regions are kind of like they sketch like yeah. real sketch <laughs> dogs know better. not even a dog would want to be in it Jeez. wow wow way to alienate our audience from the amazon 
<laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad place. I'm just saying it's with all the animals and and the terrain and all this stuff. It's it's like kudos to whoever lives there, like and made a living. Like they're tough ass people. Like <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So one of the things that I found out that was really interesting is the Taruma indigenous people and the Mayon Gong are said to have been some of the best hunting dog breeders in that region. They even had like specialized categories for some of these dogs. Like some dogs were really good at jaguar flushing. Other dogs were really good at uh, deer flushing, you know, so they were called jaguar dogs and deer dogs respectively because they were just like really good at flushing out these particular animals out of the jungle. Imagine imagine having just the dog and be like, all right, go get him, boy. And it's just <laughs> Come fighting back a with jaguar. a jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Oh my God. So, oh, I thought you were a deer dog. Oh my God. What? Being like, I thought you were a deer dog. I'm not ready for jaguars. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the wrong kind of dog. You yeah. gave me the wrong dog. <laughs> it's like, oh God. Poor dog. In this next section, which I titled Hot Dogs. Get your hot dogs. That sort of hot dog. <laughs> it made me laugh too, okay? When I was writing it, I was like, oh, this is funny. So dogs weren't actually just useful for hunting or herding uh, resource. There were actually a source of food for some cultures. So sometimes dogs were eaten only during ceremonies. Other times they were eaten regularly. And overall, I'll keep this section sort of short just because I did want to talk about something that does happen or happened in this history. You know, it's something that I should address, even though it is very taboo in our culture to eat dogs. And which is why I say before people come at me about, oh, no, the doggos got eaten or whatever. (laughs) Remember that many cultures, including Europeans, ate dogs. And in some cases, uh, the Spanish ate several dogs to extinction and even ate puppies. That's fucked up. Even Yeah, I know. So one of the things I learned in that book, they <laughs> ate puppies. So, which is like the epitome of evil. Like someone who eats puppies is like the most evil person, which is crazy. It's just crazy. And yeah. I'm sure other cultures ate puppies too. It's, this was just noted. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Some of the Meso- some of Mesoamerica's oldest cultures ate dogs, like a lot. There is a lot of evidence that dog meat was actually a part of the Olmec's regular diet and following in their footsteps the aztec and maya also ate dogs but it is thought that mayan women raised dogs for mostly ceremonial consumption since their diet consisted mostly of maize and beans and it was like a very particular type of maize called maizeization or something uh it went through a specific process but apparently this process uh alongside with beans Mm. made it a very balanced diet so they didn't really need anything else. So like a lot of protein and fiber, it sounds like. Yeah. So it was it was perfectly balanced. Eat your beans, even though I don't eat them. You don't eat beans. I don't like beans. I don't like avocados. I'm really the the worst Latinx person in the world. Dude. I know. I know. I get a lot of strange looks from people all the time. <laughs> I believe it. I'm giving you a strange look, even though you can't see me. Yeah, I can barely see you. <laughs> so. Finally, uh, I wanted to point out that the Inca actually down south in South America were actually very dog-eating adverse. So they did not like eating dog. Uh, that was more taboo. Let me talk briefly about the Aztec markets and their dog-eating culture. 
specifically. So in the great city of Tenochtitlan, which the Spanish described as having wide streets and large plazas every few blocks where merchants would set up, there were people that actually specialized in breeding dogs. So dogs were specifically actually prepared for state functions, like this meal that was served to Aztec nobility. So let me read you this meal, okay? I want you to I want your opinion on this meal that okay. the Aztecs ate. So turkeys, perhaps eighty or a hundred of them. This merchant then brought dogs to provide the people as food, perhaps twenty or forty dogs. When they died, they put them with the turkeys which they served. At the bottom of the sauce dish they placed the dog meat, and on top they placed the turkeys as required. So turkey dogs? Yep, turkey dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I mean, that sounds delicious. It sounds except kinda, for the dog part. It sounds kind of baller. Uh, yeah, I know it sounds <laughs> it sounds delicious. But I mean, the sheer amount of dogs and turkeys that they were eating is is phenomenal, isn't it? That's insane. Yeah, that's a lot of turkeys. It's a lot of turkeys. Eighty or a hundred of them, and then they brought. About, I wonder how many people that that fed. Oh, that must have fed so many. Yeah, the quote didn't quite say. It just said that it was like these, you know, big banquet, Aztec banquets, right? That Mm -hmm. was specifically for the nobility. And this was a passage from someone, from a Spanish person, obviously, who sat through this state function. It's very fascinating. So that's crazy. That was the end of like my very short history lesson on dogs. One of the things I did learn that I kind of wanted to just randomly attach somewhere is that dire wolves were super common when uh, he, our human ancestors kind of crossed over. Mm-hmm. Super, super common. It's why you, when you go to the La Brea Tar Pits, it's just like chock full of dire wolves. Have you ever been to the La Brea Tar Pits? No, I don't like nature. Oh my God. It's not even nature, girl. It's in the middle of LA. Nature. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go there as a kid because they would always take us on field trips there. And because the whole area is just like a giant tar hole, or there's just like a bunch of tar underneath, there were patches of tar that you could see in the grass. And I would just take a stick and I would just poke the, the, the tar. God, that sounds... Was, I, I would have hated being your teacher. Where's Brenda? Oh my God, she's in a tar hole again. <laughs> she's stuck. Teacher, please help me. Help me. <laughs> I'm slowly, slowly sinking. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I love Little Bread Tarpets. One day when you come and Corona's not a thing anymore, and hopefully the Little Bread Tarpets are still there, we have to go. It's such a fun museum. And really, like, they have a huge wall, and it's just dire wolf skulls. Uh, it's so cool. That sounds cool, I guess. Right? I don't know if I'm fascinated dire... by tar like you are. You're fasc- You're not. You're not as fascinated as. <laughs> I love tar. It's so cool to poke. I'm sorry. It is so cool. It's so cool to poke. <laughs> Anyways, no, but that was really cool. Like I didn't know any of that information at all. Right. Like, it's so interesting the way, and this was just like touching. This is scratching the surface at the different uses that dogs symbolized and had in society more of the practical uses right but you are going to talk about the more mythological uses yeah Ooh, good transition there i was wondering how we were going to do it Ah, (laughs) i figured it out i'm really good 
So yeah, I'm excited to look at the mythology of dogs. So in order to do that, to talk about the mythology, I want to take us back in time. Ooh, I'm closing to my a eyes. faraway place. Close your eyes. Everyone that's listening, close your eyes. We're going back, back to a crazy year before all of this happened. We're going to 2017. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> the ancient, the ancient year of 2017. Yeah. The world was only a minor dumpster fire. We still had some hope. It was the before times. In the before. <laughs> anyway, that year, Pixar and Disney released the film Coco. It's a movie about young a young boy trying to find himself and make peace with his family through his love of music. He ends up traveling to the underworld during Day of the Dead um, as part of his journey. It's a really, really good movie, and it's really sad and awesome. But throughout the movie, the the little boy, his name is Miguel, has a constant companion that also serves as comic relief and is a nod to pre-Columbian mythologies of the dead. So his companion is a hairless dog, a Xoloid Squinkly, yes. uh, and his oh my name God. is Dante, good. which is like, good, what? Good job on that name, because Xoloid Squinkly? Is so hard. Yeah, surely it's squintly. It's such a hard word to say. And I think when you see it, it's so intimidating that your brain automatically like puts the brakes on and is like, no, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, it's like my tongue <laughs> doesn't make those sounds. Yeah. Like, I can't do that. But Dante was such a yeah. good character in that movie. I loved that little dog. Yeah, he was such an amazing character. Super, super cute. And I didn't know this when I was doing research. They brought in an actual Cholo dog to the, st- to the studio to record Dante's voice or bark. What? So the barks that you hear are from an actual Cholo dog. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, but it also like because they included this this type of dog, it was super clear that they had done their research. Yes, um, because the Cholet Squinkly is actually a dog native to the Americas. So again, it was it was such a cool representation and really smart inclusion of a dog to be that the the one that gets him from one world to the other. Yes. So um, the Cholet Squinkly is a dog that was an integral part for Aztec mythology. And a lot of like um, indigenous mythology, mythology also for the Mayans, for example. Uh, many people believe that he was the companion that helped you cross from the world of the, li- the, the living to the world of the dead or Mictlan, which is why, again, it was so cool that they used him in Coco yes. uh, because that's exactly what Dante does. So he's like the goofiest looking dog ever. Yes, he is. He's so goofy. I love him. He's adorable. And I've been to Pixar. I just like definitely not even a humble brag this is just a straight up brag but yeah i've been to pixar (laughs) super cool yeah it's it's such a cute dog and he does like dante helps miguel get from one world to the other and even though he seems clueless like he really seems like the dorkiest dog ever he actually keeps miguel safe and, and helps him out a lot so uh i thought that was a good way to start to kind of connect a few dots yay and yeah show some like current representation of the mythology which is cool to see and kind of rare yeah super yeah so i also found this great article on national geographic the article's titled this hairless mexican dog has a storied past by Kristen romi arami so in it she talks about how that cholo and i'm just going to refer to it as the cholo because cholo squintly is a little hard to say it's a mouthful (laughs) yeah you know what i mean uh it was an important dog for aztecs and mayas because um as you've mentioned, Brenda, it was a food source. Yep. Uh, yum, so yum, sometimes yum. it was food. 
It was a companion, but it was also a guide to the underworld. Which is the fun part. The Um, underworld in my belly. Oh. (laughs) And I just think like this, the, the Cholo is like a hairless dog. With sometimes like a little puff of hair yes. on their head. Oh so they God. are really weird looking dogs. And the fact that these are like creatures that guide you to the underworld and have like this really important role is hilarious and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of, they uh, some of them I've seen have like a little mohawk. It's so cute. Yeah, but we have to be serious because according to the article, the dog of Xolotl or Xoloisquintli was created by the gods to guard the living and guide the souls of the dead through the dangerous through the dangers of Mictlan. Oh. So this is a serious dog. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I'm still in teaching mode. Listen to me. <laughs> so, okay, Professora. Um, a lot of I know. <laughs> a lot of uh, ceramic dogs that have been found in burial sites were thought to represent Xolotls, but they're really not. And I'll talk about that a little, a little bit. But burial sites, you find a lot of ceramic dogs and they've been called Colima dogs because that's where they are found, uh, a lot of them. So in Colima and the neighboring states of Nayarit and Jalisco in Mexico, archaeologists um, have estimated that more than 75% of burials from the neo the pre-classic period uh, contain those vessels so a bunch of the the burial sites have the the ceramic dogs and that's why they're called the colima dogs and the idea was that the ceramic dog would help the person through the underworld into their final resting place so sometimes they would bury the person with an actual dog sometimes they would bury the person with a ceramic dog again to provide that guidance oh that makes so much sense it's like the eye thing in greek culture where you bury someone with two coins over their eye so they can they can pay the skeleton man yeah yeah to take you across the river sticks yeah so it's the same idea it's like here's a little ceramic dog to take and guide with you oh that's so cute yeah so there's, they were super important for the mythology. And even Bernardino de Saoun wrote that the people in the Valley of Mexico would burn corpses sometimes and that they would kill a red dog and lay it to rest next to the person. And the idea was that in four years, that person would travel to the underworld with the help of the dog. Oh, it took them four years to thra- travel the underworld? I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it took them four years or I think what ha- it would take four years before they started the journey oh i see so they just hang out on earth yeah they're just dead for a bit i don't know what that looks like uh yeah i mean that makes sense i'd be like if i if i died i'd be like yeah let me chill here and spy on people in the world and stuff i don't want to go to the underworld (laughs) and mess with them is what you would do yeah spy on people hell yeah (laughs) so why was the dog named chulotl well Xolotl was also a god, like I said, and he was a freaking weird-ass god. Like, I think he's my favorite god now. (laughs) Uh, So he was pictured sometimes as a deformed dog. Uh, So his face was pointing forward, but his feet ran backwards. He was also represented as a skeleton with the head of a dog. He was Quetzalcatl's brother, and uh, he was the the night star. Uh, He was the star. He's now the star of your heart. He is. He's my favorite. I crush on Xolotl. <laughs> Weird looking friend. But the idea was that uh, Xolotl would bring up upon the night. So every night he would grab the sun and hide it. 
and then bring it back in the morning. Mm. It's cool. And then an important job. Yeah. He was also a trickster god. So he was like, a again, a, like a weird one. So in, one of the mythologies is that when the world was created, the sun didn't have the power on its own to move across the sky because it required sacrifices to do so. So the gods got together and were like, all right, we need to get this sun moving. And in order to do that, we'll sacrifice ourselves. And that way the sun will move and the humans will have an example, right? So they'll learn that through sacrifice, the sun moves and they'll do the sacrifices. And Sholotl was like, oh, don't know, hell to the no. I am not going to sacrifice myself because that's dumb. So <laughs> he it's my favorite part. He cried so hard that his eye sockets became empty. So he's often depicted in Aztec art like that, like without eyes. How metal is that? Wow. Like, that's, I love it. That's so badass. So he, I want to cry so hard. Imagine if you were a child and, and you know, when you like got really upset and you just started crying, 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 your eyes just fell out. What would your parents <laughs> even think like at that point? It's like, you know, when they're like, oh, you know. Uh, no llores, no llores. You know, that's how my dad sounds. That's my interpretation of my dad. No llores, porque está llorando, no chias. You know, like, they, they make fun of you. Son la llorona. Yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden your eyes just fucking fall out. Oh, my God. No, they'd be like, now you're making a mess. Put those eyes back in your face. <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. You're right. God, there's nothing that satisfies and scares mm -hmm. them. Oh, but that no. is metal. I, I really like that about Shalotl. Right? So he was really cool. Uh, so that happened. His eyes popped out because he cried so hard. And then he was still not going to sacrifice himself. So he turned himself into mace and then a, mag a maguey plant. And then he turned himself into the axolotl, which is like that weird, cute amphibian thing. Yes, I've seen uh, them. Like the pink one. Yeah. yeah. And so he was hiding all over like freaky zoos, turning into animals. <laughs> but eventually the other gods. At least but, he wasn't having siring children all the way all over the place like Zeus. Not that I saw. No. And I, I'm very happy about that. Yes. <laughs> I did not want to read that. So eventually he was tracked down by Ehekatl, the wind god. And they were like, all right, we need to sacrifice. So they, he was sacrificed so that the sun could begin to, to move. And that's what started the new era. Isn't that crazy? Oh, yes, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So another story is that uh, Xolotl and Quetzalcoatl, uh, again, are brothers. And they had to work together to get bones from the ancient dead in Mictlan and then bring them back to the surface. And that's how humans were created. Yes. And that's the beginning of the story. Yeah. Our story today. Yeah. At the beginning. That's the Which is, I, he's such a, like, yeah, I think that's why people... When I was reading about him, people described him as both like good and bad. Like he had that combination. It just sounded like he had a lot of personality. And I appreciate yeah, that in a god. Yes, I, I appreciate a, a wily trickster slash is he on our side kind of god. He's a very like, yeah. um, he falls in that category of like Loki and all those other kind of gods in that you're like, okay, are they evil? Are they not? They're just kind of chaotic. They're just chaos age agents, you know? Yeah. Which we need sometimes. Yes. Maybe not right now, but sometimes. <laughs> so in the Mayan codices, Xolotl is shown carrying a light or a torch uh, because the mythology was that dogs brought uh, fire to humans. Aww. And because dogs are associated with the god Xolotl, that was like the connection that the idea that dogs brought um, fire to humans. So Xolotl was also connected to, to that um, and also to lightning. Cool. The lightning thing I yeah. really like. I do enjoy that. Yeah. So what a good dog, Chalotl. 
So dogs did a lot for us. They brought us light and fire. Awesome. We we don't even thank them enough for that. And we thank them by cooking them. I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll stop Way to bring it down. Dogs. <laughs> no more I, hot dogs. I poor dogs. I know. So finally, Sholotl is also known as a sickly god, which is also why I like him because I'm a hypochondriac. <laughs> so, uh, so Sholotl's connection with Cygnus may be seen from the fact that he is portrayed as having an ema- emaciated skeletal frame, again with reverse feet and empty eye sockets. Um, so Sholotl is usually also associated with people with deformities. Yeah. So thankfully, they didn't make Dante and Coco that creepy. Like he wasn't full on Sholo it, uh, connected to that god because that would have been I mean, I would have loved to see all the kids freaking out when the dog came out with like his face on his butt and like all skeletal and weird. That would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. But I think Dante was uh, he was definitely a better character as a as a normal looking Sholo and not a personification of Sholoro. I think so. You might be right. I guess. <laughs> I guess. So, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so that's kind of some of the mythology in relation to dogs in, in Mesoamerica. Um, but I also wanted to talk about some other dog breeds that were really big in Mesoamerica. So uh, scholars such as uh, Dr. Raul Valadez, an anthropologist at the UNAM, Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México, uh, believe that there were at least three breeds that existed in Mesoamerica. So there was the Tlachichi, the Itzquintli, and the Xolo Itzquintli. Easy to say. Super easy I to know. say. I <laughs> know. So that's why you leave these sections to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you hard cheat. it was to even record the story at the beginning of the episode? <laughs> because I had to say all those names and I was just like... <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I fucked this up for the 10th time. <laughs> so... These three were kind of like the main dogs or main three breeds. Bernardino de Saun describes the Tlachichi, which is also now my favorite dog, as a short, plump dog raised for food. <laughs> so, yeah. So the Colima dogs that I mentioned earlier are actually representations of the Tlachichi because they're really small, pudgy little ceramic dogs. And they look so cute. Oh. And, but that's why they were used uh, to, to eat. Oh, um, that makes sense why they have little big bellies. Yeah. So Guillermo Rios Alcalá is a Mexican potter that works on making ceramics inspired by early pottery. And one of his works, I'm, I'm sure we'll change, we'll share this picture on social media. But one of his works is a huge dog sculpture in Colima. I don't know what year I couldn't find that, but it's like uh, at a roundabout on a major road in Colima. And it's two Tlachichis dancing, or it looks like they're dancing. And it is a giant sculpture. It's so freaking cute. It's like, two tons and it's 10 feet uh, about 10 feet tall and what it actually is love it i love it you showed it to me and i was like i want to be inside that pottery like in the (laughs) middle of the two i want to be like in the middle of the two dancing dogs hugging because it's so cute it's so cute and yeah it looks like they're dancing and the legend is though that they're not dancing but that the older dog is passing knowledge down to the younger dog so yeah so this is the way that they were communicate and again that they would be spiritual guides so it's like one is training the other to be a spiritual guide so yeah we'll show that picture (laughs) the tlachichi is also known as a techichi so there are theories that the techichi is the ancestor of the current chihuahua dog y'all thought we weren't gonna get to chihuahuas (laughs) (laughs) 
awesome. I thought the Chihuahua, huh. so I thought the Chihuahua, they just found him. Like, no one, no one knew what it was, and they were just like, what the hell is this dog? Like, nobody bred it. Nobody purposely made it that way. It was just the dog they found in the desert, and they were like, all right. Yeah, well, I'll talk about that. So a little bit of that, yes. But some historians credit the Aztecs for breeding the larger Tlachichi or Techichi into the smaller Techichi that was there when the Spaniards arrived and that they would use for food mostly and sacrifices. Spaniards ate this dog and many thought it had become extinct. But then in the mid-1800s, Americans began to take interest in, in this breed that they found in the state of Chihuahua. So this is where they were found, right? A bunch of little now Chihuahua dogs were found in that state. Nobody knew where they were coming from or like what breed they were coming from. Um, but that was that was kind of like the last survivor uh, of that, of that, um, of the Techichi, probably. That's the theory. The first American Kennel Club registered Chihuahua was a little ni- guy named Beppy. And that was recorded in 1908. <laughs> Beppy! <laughs> oh, that's so, so cute, Beppy! Oh. Yeah. I used to hate chihuahuas, but you know, their little trembling bodies and their tidy little faces. I just I just want to hug them and hold them, so I, I do enjoy them. But I'm glad they just, they straight up just found them randomly, right? Like, that's so cool. Yeah. They really just appeared in, in Chihuahua, like they made themselves at home in Chihuahua for some reason. Awesome. Yeah. So one of the last dogs that I want to talk about is the Chimu dog, which is also known as the Peruvian Inca orchid dog. Orchid oh. dog. So this dog also looks a lot like the Sholo. It's hairless. Um, they look exactly, almost exactly the same. But the Peruvian variety varies more in size um, and in color. So based off pottery, it seems that these dogs have been around since 700 and since 750 CE, uh, so current era. Mm. And they are the national dog of Peru. Um, And the dogs were labeled perros flora or like floral floor dogs, flower dogs dogs. by the Spanish flower dogs by the Spanish who first encountered them hanging out in caves with wild orchids. So that's also how they got the name of the Peruvian Inca orchid dog. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. I'd be like, damn, look at this cave dog. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, you would have called it a cave dog. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, So there's some records that the Incas kept them as pets, uh, but they were also kept as pets in pre-Incan culture from the Peruvian northern coastal zone. So they've been pets for a really long time or a, a a version of them. They've also been represented in pottery and other forms by the moche, the wadi, and the chimo cultures. So they've been around wow. for a while. Wow. I also yeah. heard for the Peruvian Inca orchid dog, I've heard that they were really good remedies for arthritis and like rheumatism, I think it was, that because they were hairless, their warmth could kind of like ease the pain of your of your muscles and all that stuff. So people kept them around for that reason too. Yeah, that's when I saw the section hot dogs. That's what I thought you were going to talk about because I did read that some dogs were used as like heating pads. Yes. Imagine yeah. like having your period and just having a little dog like lay over your little, you know, and then that was like the yeah. heating that you would get for some relief. Like that's awesome. Yeah. And if it's a chihuahua, it's also all trembly. So you get a massage. Yes, you get a tiny massage <laughs> in that little area and that show my uterus on my uterus. <laughs> so cute. I love it. Well, little did you know it was about eating dogs. So there you go. I so, did not know that. 
Before we end the episode, I really wanted to touch on very quickly the dogs in the conquest and the dogs after the Spanish arrived. So we touched, we touched on it. When the Spanish arrived, they didn't actually just bring their disgusting diseases, but they also brought <laughs> some dogs, some very in, uh, particular dogs that ended up eventually mixing with a lot of the local dogs. Some dogs were bred out of extinction because of that. Other dogs, uh, like I said, the Spanish ate them. So anyways, so the Spanish did bring other dogs, including dogs like of war. So they specifically brought with them dogs of war like mastiffs, which actually had gotten a taste of human meat via the Moorish conquests. So the Reconquista, sure. during the Reconquista, the, these dogs were really well practiced. And so they were unleashed on indigenous people which is pretty gruesome and were used to really attack indigenous people and eat them. And if you're curious about these stories, I, I won't go into it here, uh, especially the more gruesome ones, but you can actually go check out our Instagram. I know it's a plug, <laughs> but check out our Instagram, Monstras Podcast, and I'll actually be sharing some of these stories there along with other pictures. So not only did the Spanish unleash their war dogs on the populations in Mes Mesoamerica, they also decimated some of the native dog populations, as I mentioned, including a dog breed called the Aon or Alco. I couldn't quite pinpoint the name of it, which actually belonged to the Taino people, uh, which is now modern day Puerto Rico. They were kind of in the Caribbean mm -hmm. and the Taino people adored this dog. Like they would carry there's there's written accounts of them carrying them around. So cool. The end. End of podcast. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. But I do think that is our it for our episode today. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did this one. I know. I really love dogs. I can talk about it all day. I was trying to be succinct and good. Anyways, I wanted to just say thank you to everyone for listening to us. If you want to continue supporting us, please leave us a review. Just let us know what you think. And if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends you want us to cover, let us know. Also, please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. We have tons of social media, including Twitter. So if you go to Monstras Podcast, or you can email us at monstraspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a website called monstraspodcast.com and our Instagram, which is now active and up and I'm trying to pump out some more content and when this episode <laughs> drops there's going to be a lot of doggo Ooh, so much dog content that i am collecting it's gonna be so fun so check it out and thank you again for all of you for listening to us you know especially me talk about how much i love dogs this was definitely a brenda centered episode <laughs> well next time <laughs> You did say we should do one on cats, and I'm down to do one on cats. I just don't know. Besides the jaguar, I don't know what the hell cats did in Mesoamerica. Yeah, I have no idea either. But we will <laughs> we'll see. Find out. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We can look at. We can start looking into it. But we can't make any promises that we'll have an episode on cats. But anyways, goodbye, good night, and don't let the dog bite. <laughs> wow.